Now, as I said at the beginning of our service this evening, this is our Harvest Thanksgiving Day, a day when we remember uh, the harvest and we give thanks to God for the harvest. And the Bible says a lot, doesn't it, about seed time and harvest. There's numerous references to sowing and reaping and to uh, so many agricultural references in, in God's word, isn't there? And we read a number of passages today that speak about the Lord's provision and seed time and harvest and so on. And of course, it's as we were reflecting this morning, it's the Lord Jesus Christ who is upholding all things by the word of his power. He is the one who is controlling this world. And one of the ways that the Lord Jesus Christ upholds all things is by setting various laws or principles or constants in this world. Some people call them laws of nature. Others like to call them laws of science. And these laws of nature have been placed by God in the natural world, and they never change. They're constants. And these laws cover every aspect of life on Earth, from motion and thermodynamics to electromagnetism and so on. And you can look up some of these laws, and there's some people here who probably know far more about some of these laws than I ever do. And of course, you remember Isaac Newton. You remember he was sat under that apple tree in the 17th century, and there he was formulating his great work on the law of universal gravitation. And there's this thing called gravity. And of course, we understand today about the force of gravity, don't we? That it keeps us all on planet Earth. It stops us floating away. We don't have to worry, do we? Now, when we got up this morning, we didn't have to check the gravity forecast to see whether it's changed um, you know, when I went out, I didn't have to, you know, look ahead and see whether, you know, gravity is going to be low tomorrow. Because it's a constant. It's a law of nature. It's an inescapable principle. It's fixed. And this evening, we want to think about another fixed law in nature. And that's the law of the harvest. And that's our subject this evening, the law of the harvest. And I'm turning back to that passage we read in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, we read this, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And Paul describes here the law of the harvest, a constant, a principle that remains true throughout all the world. And I want to look at this law of the harvest with you this evening and see a number of things about it. And the first thing I want you to notice is that this law is very simple. The law of the harvest is very simple. Of course, some of the laws of science are very complicated, aren't they? When I was um, preparing for this sermon, I tried to look up some of these laws, laws like Euler's law of motion or the Boltzmann transport equation and so on. Uh, and there, were, there was many others. I'll be totally honest, I had no idea what they were before I started reading. And I didn't have a huge amount of an idea when I finished reading with some of them. They were very complicated laws. There was a lot of science involved, some of them a lot of mathematics. But this law that Paul lays down here is a very simple law, this law of the harvest. Whatever you plant, whatever you sow, that is what you're going to reap. If you take an acorn and you plant it in the ground, it will always produce an oak. If you sow wheat, you'll always reap wheat. If you plant barley, you'll always reap barley and so on. You, know, you don't drive past a field, do you, and see a field of oilseed rape and wonder, I wonder what the farmer planted this year in that field. 
You know, everybody understands this law, that whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. Even children understand this. And one of the reasons why this law is so simple is because it contains only two things. And Paul mentions them here. He mentions sowing and he mentions reaping. When I considered and looked at the other laws, they had, you know, some of them contained massive equations about energy and force and momentum and all these things. But this law just has two really simple things. Sowing, which is the planting of a seed in the ground, and reaping, which is the gathering in of the, of the fruits. And so Paul says to us here, look, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's very simple. But the second thing that we notice about this law that Paul is speaking about here is that it's a spiritual law. The law is spiritual. I don't want to insult your intelligence here this evening, but when Paul is mentioning this law, he's not speaking about agriculture. He's not instructing the Galatians as to how they should plant their fields and what they should do in their gardens and so on. Rather, he is using this principle and in applying the principle to speak about everyone's lives. He takes this earthly law of the harvest to then speak about spiritual things. And he says, just as it is in the the earthly, so it is with the spiritual. And so he, he takes the one and he transfers it to the other. As I said, he's not instructing his readers how to manage their gardens or their farms, but he is instructing them how to manage their lives, as it were, their spiritual lives. Now, I mentioned just a moment ago, that there's these two very simple aspects. There's the the sowing of the seed, and there's the reaping of the harvest. And Paul takes these two to then speak about our lives. And so you look at the first of these, the sowing. Our lives are lives where we're constantly sowing. There's a continual sowing. That's what Paul is uh, emphasizing here and implying. And so he says to himself, well, what do we mean when we say that we're sowing? What is it about our lives that that is like sowing? Well, the decisions that we make in our lives, the choices that we make, the things that we do, our actions, our thoughts, all of these things are like seeds that are sown. They have consequences. They have have repercussions. There is a reaping of the things that we do. So everything that we do, this side of eternity, in a sense, is like sowing seeds. And Paul goes on to speak about reaping. Or the harvest, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And Paul is speaking about the consequences that then follow from our sowing, from our actions, from our words, from our thoughts. Perhaps you've, uh, you've heard that famous line, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. And there's a lot of truth in that quotation. That's true of our lives, that we are constantly sowing. And what we're sowing, there will be a reaping. There are consequences to everything that we do. I think we understand this in life, don't we? You know, if I decide to go down into Ripon and I try to rob the local jewellery shop and I get caught, then I expect there's going to be some kind of consequence for my action, that I'm probably going to spend some time in prison for the things that I've done. I would be reaping what I've sowed. And Paul here is speaking about spiritual matters. He's reminding us that everything in this life will have consequences in the life to come. Now, if you go into the next verse, Paul 
uh, stresses that there's two kinds of sowing. Verse 8, he says this, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So there's a, a sowing to the flesh, but there's also a sowing to the Spirit. And as you go through life, you're doing either one of these two things. And we read right back from chapter 5 where Paul says that these two are contrary. You cannot be sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit in that sense. You're either one or the other. The two things don't cross in that sense. They are separate. They're contrary. And so we ask ourselves then the question, well, what is sowing to the flesh? What does Paul mean when he says that we're, that talks about sowing here to the flesh? Well, sowing to the flesh is seeking to gratify and indulge ourselves and the flesh. It's a pursuing of sinful desires, spending time living carnal and sensual lives. We seek this world and the things of this world. It's a, it's a way of life that is bent on self and selfish desires. And therefore, it's a, a way of life that also neglects the soul. It neglects the spiritual Back in chapter 5, we read some of the things that people do who sow to the flesh. Adultery, fornication, and so on in verse 19, 20, and 21. Paul gives us this, this list of things. And you see, if you're, a, if you're not a Christian tonight, then this is the kind of sowing that you are engaged in day by day. You are sowing to the flesh. You are following these line of this list of things here that, that Paul mentions. This is what sowing to the flesh looks like. And you see, remember in Paul's day, sowing was very different from what it is today. We have, of course, the tractors with great big uh, implements that the tractors pull for sowing, great big things that can do a field in a matter of minutes. But in Paul's day, it was a man with a bag going along, casting seed and throwing it out as he went along. And, and sinner, here is the, the picture of what you are like tonight. You're, you're like walking through this life with this bag and you're sowing seeds. Seeds of sin. Your hand goes into the bag and it, as it were, casts out thoughts of adultery. And then you, your hand goes back into the bag and then there's seeds of idolatry. And you just keep going through this life, uncleanness and wrath and so on. Just constantly sowing to the flesh. Living only to please yourself. But in contrast, Paul mentions here in chapter 6 a sowing to the Spirit. And that's very different, very contrary. Sowing to the Spirit is when you're in Christ. It's when the Holy Spirit dwells within you and you live under his guidance and his leading and his direction. And so you seek to live a holy life, a spiritual life, a life devoted to God. And so there's these two contrasts. Let me ask you tonight, which one which life are you living? A life that's sowing to the flesh or a life that's sowing to the spirits? You notice that Paul gives, warns us of terrible consequences for the person who is sowing to the flesh. In verse 8 there, he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And the word corruption there conveys this idea of a corpse, a putrefying corpse that's decomposing and and rotting, and there's a stench to it. It speaks of death. And the Apostle is reminding us that of a life lived only for this world, a life that is sowing to the flesh, leads ultimately to that place of death and an unending decay and destruction. 
So friends, tonight, are you, are you aware of this? Are you aware that if you're sowing to the flesh, you, you're going to reap corruption? The seeds that you're sowing are ultimately leading you downwards to, to, onto a path that leads to hell. The harvest that will spring up for you is a, is a harvest of eternal death. Paul stresses this again in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. It's the same idea. What you're sowing is going to lead to eternal consequences. All the things that you're doing in this life are leading to this corruption. But Paul says, look, but for the Christian, there's a great contrast. Those who are sowing to the Spirit, there's a, there's a great difference. There's this harvest, he says there. You notice there's a reaping of life everlasting that's a wonderful truth isn't it if you're in Christ and you're under the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit it leads to a reaping of life everlasting but for the unbeliever corruption and death and supporters to us here look you see this very simple law but it's also a spiritual law he's speaking about spiritual things here but you notice also thirdly that it's a personal law This law is personal. Notice the wording of verse 7. He says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Paul directs us individually here. He's saying a man's actions is what he is going to reap. And so we can't hide behind a crowd. You see, what you sow belongs to you and what I sow belongs to me when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ God will then render to every man according to their deeds not somebody else's deeds the harvest that you receive will be because of the seeds that you have sown in this life you cannot rest you see in the fact that someone else you know, has sowed to the Spirit. You can't rest in the fact that perhaps your parents are saved. You can't rest in the fact that maybe your friend comes to church and they sow seeds. No, no, you've got, you're only going to be judged by what you have done. We could also add to this point that you'll not be able to excuse your sin and pass your sin on to someone else. Adam found this out, didn't he, in Genesis chapter 3. He tried to blame his sin on Eve. It wasn't me, God. It was Eve. It was that woman that you gave me. He doesn't even use her name, does he, in that part. He just points to her. It's her fault. He tries to excuse his sin. But it doesn't work like that. Because sin is personal. In Romans chapter 2, Paul makes a very similar point to what we're looking at here. In Romans chapter 2, he makes... He brings this out that it's a personal thing. Romans chapter 2, verse 6, speaking of the, the, the judgment of God, he says, He will render to every man according to his deeds. His deeds, not someone else's deeds. And then you go down into verse 11 of that chapter, and it tells us that God, there is no respect of persons with God's. You see, God doesn't care what car you drive. He doesn't care how amazing you are at your job. He doesn't care what kind of house you've got. He doesn't care about your abilities and all these things that people think are so wonderful. I met a man recently the other day, and he was the first thing he told me was, I've run the London Marathon. He was so proud of it. And then he told me the charity that he had run it for. Clearly, this was the thing that he thought was going to be, as it were, wonderful and acceptable to anyone he met. 
But you see, God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care, in a sense, what we've done, the achievements that we've achieved in this life. He's going to render, according to every man, the deeds that they have done. And so the harvest that you see you will receive at the end of life will be justly yours. Whether that's a harvest of corruption, or whether that's a harvest of life everlasting. Just let me ask you this evening, which one will it be for you? Not which one will it be for the person who sat next to you, not what it will be for the person sat in front or behind, but what will it be for you? What will you reap on that great day when you stand before God? Well, the fourth thing that we notice about this law this evening is that this law of the harvest is also certain. It's certain. We spoke at the beginning, didn't we, about the laws of nature, constants that exist in this world of change. And I mentioned gravity, and gravity is universal, isn't it? And it's certain. It doesn't fluctuate or change, as we said at the beginning. Gravity is the same here in North Yorkshire as it is in Australia. It doesn't matter where you go. It's not affected by the seasons. It doesn't change whether it's day or night. And the same is true of the law of the harvest. It's certain. It's sure. It's universal. You can't escape to another country to escape this law that Paul lays down here. And of course, you may wonder why I have brought this up. Well, look again at verse 7. Notice what Paul says at the beginning of verse 7. He says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. You see, there are some people who sadly think that when it comes to spiritual sowing that we've spoken about tonight, that somehow the law may not exist for them. They imagine somehow that this law doesn't seem to apply to them, that they can carry on living their life just as they please, sowing to the flesh over and over again, and that somehow they'll reap life everlasting at the end. And so lots of people carry on living their lives, don't they, in this way? as if there is no harvest of corruption, as if there is no hell that's coming, as if there will be no judgment. But Paul says here, look, be not deceived. If that's how you think this evening, you've deceived yourself. And these people, sinners, and perhaps somebody here tonight is like this, you foolishly imagine there's going to be no consequences for your sin. You think that you can just carry on living life for yourself with no thought for God and just get away with it at the end. If there's someone here like that tonight, Paul says, look, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You cannot pull the wool over God's eyes. God sees all things. His eyes are in every place. He beholds all things. He sees our sin. You cannot scorn God and mock God. That's what the word despised here literally means. It means to turn your nose up at God's. Some people think they can be sort of spiritual magicians that, you know, when they come and stand before God, a little bit of sleight of hand, a little bit of, you know, mist and so on, they'll be able to hide the things that God has seen all along. And he'll be deceived. He won't be able to see what we're really like and I'll be able to bluff my way into heaven. But you cannot pull a fast one on God's. But some people think they can do, and the Bible's full of examples of people who thought they could. You remember Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5? They thought, didn't they, that they could, as it were, deceive God and pull the wool over God's eyes. Do you remember they had some land and they sold the land, but instead of giving all the money to the church, they kept part back. 
And you remember how Ananias came and he lied. And you remember how the Lord judged him for his lie and he dropped down dead there at the church doors. Can you imagine if we had a Sunday like that where somebody came and they lied as they were standing on the church doors and they dropped down dead? That would be a Sunday to remember, wouldn't it? And Paul says to, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 4, Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. You see, God sees. And he fell down dead and he thought that he could mock God. You remember how a few verses later his wife comes in, Sapphira, and the same thing's happened and she's carried out and she's buried next to her husband. And, and, and what a moment that must have been. We read that fear and, and trembling came upon the church because they saw that, that God sees. You can't deceive the Lord. So friends, let me say to you tonight, don't be deceived. This law of the harvest is certain. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's true, it will happen. However, I should point out at this point that there was in a sense one exception to the rule. One exception to this law. There was one person who sowed constantly to the spirits who sowed perfectly to the Spirit, whose life was a life of continual devotion to God, who didn't reap life everlasting in that sense at the end, but they reaped a harvest of death. Of course, that one person that I'm speaking about tonight is the Lord Jesus Christ, that he suffered on the cross of Calvary, endured agony, and that he wasn't suffering because he sinned. He wasn't reaping what he had sowed, but instead he was reaping a harvest of torment because he was dying in the place of his people. And so friends, tonight you see, here's the answer. If you want to avoid the harvest of corruption and that harvest that awaits you because of your life of sowing to the flesh and sowing sin and that eternal death that awaits, that, that harvest of eternal death, then the only answer is found in Jesus Christ. I could say don't deceive yourselves tonight in imagining it will be all right with you with no Christ. No, you need Christ. Don't mock God. He's given, you the, he's given you the answer. He's given you the provision. He's provided his son. And in a sense, the moment you turn your back upon Christ, you are mocking God. I don't need, I don't need Christ. I can get to heaven my way. And we see that it's only through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, that you may have this harvest of life everlasting. I said that what we sow is what we will reap. But you see, in a sense, when the Christian comes and stands before God, his life, which has been a life of sin and of misery, in actual fact, he's asking for someone else's life to be imputed to him, someone else's righteousness. Can I receive Christ's harvest, in a sense? Can I receive the life that he purchased? And so if we want to avoid, as it were, this, this harvest that's mentioned here, that comes from sowing to the flesh, then we need to trust in Christ. And when you do that, you see the Holy Spirit comes in and he enables you and helps you to live this life that's sowing to the Spirit. So that you can walk in the Spirit as we read earlier. And so that you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh and so on. And so this fruit of the Spirit will come out in your life. This love and joy and peace and so on. But it only comes by being in Christ. As I close though this evening... It's worth pointing out that this harvest that's mentioned here, sometimes it comes early. You know, sometimes the Lord, he brings judgments in this life as well as in the life to come. 
And sometimes we read examples in the scripture where people were so evil that the Lord just took them away from this earth. You think about Judah's sons in Genesis. The Lord saw their wickedness and he took them away. You know, sometimes when you have perhaps, you see this sometimes, don't you, in a supermarket, somebody walking along with their children and the child's misbehaving and the parent will talk to the child and say, you need to stop that now. And they carry on misbehaving and they say a little bit later on, you need to stop this now, otherwise we're going to go home. And they keep going on a bit and they carry on messing about and eventually the parent will say to them, right, put that down, we're going home now. And sometimes God does that to people who carry on in their wickedness. He says, it's time for you to, as it were, leave this world. I've had enough. And the harvest sometimes comes early. But for others it may come late. And that may be true for us in a spiritual sense, mightn't it? The harvest sometimes in this world is early, sometimes it's late, sometimes it takes time to get the harvest in, but God always brings it in. And you see, this, this law that God mentions here, that Paul mentions to us here, it's like a wheel, and sometimes the wheel of God's law turns slowly for some, and sometimes it turns swiftly for others, but it always turns surely. You see, sometimes God's long-suffering, and he gives you many, many years to repent and come to him, but maybe he may only give you a few years on this earth to come and trust in him. But you can be sure of this, that at the end of it, this law of the harvest will be certain. And so let me assure you that whether the wheels turn slowly or whether they turn swiftly, they will always turn surely. And so let me ask you tonight, are you trusting in Christ? Paul says here, be not deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap.